0: You're now listening to the Longgang Kitties,
1: and here we go. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the live stream of the Longgang Kitties. My name is John Wang, joined by Ng, and I am the most handsome. Non-religious man on the face of the planet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I, this is, this is facts, I am right? like this is facts.
0: I'm superstitious but not religious. Give me four numbers and let me win four D. <laughs> okay.
1: So and today we have a very, very special guest with us. Okay. So um our special guest, his name is Muhammad Imran Muhammad Taib. Okay, and he is a director of the dialogue uh dialogue center fo- sorry, he's the director of dialogue center focusing on Conversations and Diversity and Inclusion, and a founding board member of Centre for Interfaith, SIFU, an inclusive interfaith organisation. He was previously working in government service for 19 years and was a former Associate Research Fellow at the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies. He writes frequently on issues of religion and multiculturalism and has published in local and international news agencies such as The Straits Times, Channel News Asia, Today Online and... SCMP. he has been a frequent speaker and facilitator on faith and diversity issues and has delivered guest lectures in university government agencies, schools, community organization and m n c okay and uh, we welcome him very much onto the into the long gang. Thank, thank you for you, coming Imran. thank you I'm
3: not expecting i'm not sure what to expect in the long gang.
0: Uh yes, we'll yes. try not to burn you too badly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's a very cozy environment yeah. here sure. I remember longkang only when you know you catch tadpole you know, when you were younger. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: That's what my dad was telling me like he used to do that a lot. <laughs> um but maybe let's talk a little bit more about you. Sure. Um I have been following you for quite some time. Now I know that makes me sound a bit like a stalker, but I really <laughs> love the the stuff that you write on your Facebook because uh, you you do put out a lot of your thoughts on um, current events and on like race, uh, race relations in Singapore and, you know, regionally. How did you get into this line of work?
3: I think it's kind of accidental uh, in a sense. I mean, um, typically Singaporean grew up, uh, you know, in a neighborhood school, mixing around people of all races. Yeah, but, uh, Interestingly, my first awakening towards uh, race matters was really when I was already working. Okay. Uh, How
0: old were you?
3: I was in my uh, early twenties. Okay. I was, uh, I was actually an educator. Yeah. So that's when, um, um, I got sensitive to the kind of language being used, uh, that surrounds issues of race, um, especially qualified, qualifying statements like, uh, for a Malay, uh, he's um, smart, right? Right. Uh, so, right. I mean, that, that's quite a loaded term uh, mm-hmm. that contains a lot of uh, things to unpack and it carries certain stereotypes or even prejudice, you can say. So I've, I've heard many of these kind of statements being said and that awakened me to the fact that, look, there are stereotypes around and when these are directed at my students, for example, uh, I can see the debilitating effects. Uh, and that be- put me on a journey to actually look into the whole issue of racism uh, uh, and how we have grown up imbibing many of these stereotypes unquestioningly. Uh, but there are implications, uh, especially to the development of the child uh, or our own development as we grow up imbibing a lot of these stereotypes and how it might restrict us in our aspirations even.
0: I think there is a lot of talk about the internalizations of mm-hmm. all these negative stereotypes, right? Yes. Um, like within the past couple of years uh, with BLM and all that stuff happening in the world and also locally, you know, I think Singaporeans are kind of waking up to the idea of racism, as, especially for us as the majority, right? Like we've been so blinded to what's happening around us um, or we don't even take notice that like sometimes what we say can be racist. Like for example, like what you said, oh, he's really smart for a Malay person, right? Like you think, oh, I'm giving him a compliment, but actually you're not, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so, To that end, uh, how did you decide to go into into interfaith and like dialogues and stuff like that? How did you think that it was the way to go forward?
3: Well, um, if you had met me, let's say 20 years ago, you would probably met a different kind of Imran.
0: Okay, how (laughs) were you like? I
3: mean, uh, I grew up with a typical mindset that, uh, uh, I mean, I grew up from a culturally religious family. Uh, in the sense that uh, it's a family that practices Islam uh, in in a communal way, uh, growing up with traditional values. uh, And Islam is more of a community, communal identity marker. But uh, growing up, uh, you want to establish your own identity, right? So you were searching for something more secure. Uh, And that was a period also where there was a growth of religious revivalism in this part of the world as well as globally, where youths are actually turning to religion as a strong identity marker for them. Now, I didn't realize what was happening at that time until, of course, later on I reflect. Uh, I think it's got a lot to do with both uh, uh, local uh, development process as well as global politics. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, because being Malay is seen as something that is uh, kampung, <laughs> uh, backward, you know, uh, we want to move away from this kind of stereotypes of. Being Malay, so you look for some other identity.
0: So, meaning, do, do you mean that you have to kind of reject a, a little bit of your Malay identity uh, to integrate yes, initially? Into... Yeah. Okay.
3: Uh, and uh, I'll be frank. Also, like, uh, there are uh, parents, for example, would, would tell their own children, "Don't mix too much with your own race," you know. Right. Yeah. Because uh, you might learn all the negative stuffs from them. Yeah. Uh, mix more with the Chinese, then you'll be hardworking like them. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Uh, so. Uh, this can cause a lot of uh, questioning in, in a person who's growing up, you know, looking mm. for identity. Uh, and of course, at that time, uh, Islamic revivalism was on the rise, yeah? uh, especially in its interaction with the West. Uh, and there is something, uh, I would say, um, something uh, exciting about being able to identify with the wider Muslim community in the world, right. resisting against many of these perceived threats against Islam. Uh, especially if you look at the political context, uh, you look, for example, uh, the Soviet invasion of uh, of, uh, uh, of Afghanistan in the nineteen eighties, all the way to the uh, the, the the conflict uh, between the West and and uh, Iran, for example, after the nineteen seventy nine revolution, uh, and then you see um, the Bosnian War uh, in Europe, where Muslims are being massacred. Uh, the Palestinian issue is another mm. factor, and uh, the first Gulf War where American forces were established in, in Saudi Arabia. and then
0: so there is was that is uproar? Is yeah. that when you like you think that the that's when the kind of global unity of Muslims happened because in, yes,
3: there's a fermentation of this okay. idea of the global Ummah, mm-hmm. uh, where Muslim youth, especially are driven by this whole idea we need to defend Islam because Islam is under attack. Islam is under threat. But of course, that's, that's a global consciousness, but mm. it's also localized, right? Yep. Uh, here you, you find the emergence of groups that are actually proclaiming the need to establish uh, Islam as, as a strong identity marker mm-hmm. uh, in a very exclusive way. So there's a heightened religiosity uh, in the 1980s onwards.
0: So was it like a little bit more relaxed prior to this period? Uh, Meaning, like people will w- not. So... I wouldn't
3: call it relaxed because then you know it, the association is. Oh, that, okay. Uh, like so, more, relaxed like... means you are less committed to Islam. It's <laughs> right. not that. Sorry, uh, I'm like
0: I'm not a, a secular person. Like uh, yep.
3: I think a, a different way of looking at it would be um, Islam and uh, uh, culture is quite infused, uh, right. and and it's been moving along uh, together uh, in mm-hmm. this part of the world. Uh, that has informed the values, and the community life, and all that. Uh, So that is slowly giving way to a more global consciousness of being Muslim. That is related to the idea that Muslims must fight against uh, all these threats that are coming in, secure your identity, and be part of the global Ummah. And at the same time, also plant the flag of Islam and proclaim the supremacy of the religion against all other uh, people.
0: Yeah. That's actually a really good tie-in to like, why we're here today, actually. Because mm-hmm. um, like back in uh, earlier this August of 2022, like, mm-hmm. uh, this novelist Salman Rushdie was stabbed multiple times during a public lecture. Um, so the attacker was arrested. He was charged for assault and attempted murder. Uh, and the author was severely wounded and hospitalized. So he's not dead yet. Um, But for those of you who are like Gen Z or like millennials, right? So uh, who is Salman Rushdie? He is an uh, Indian-born British-American novelist. So he first got into like big load of trouble when he published his fourth novel, uh, The The Satanic Verses, in 1988. So that was 34 years ago. Um, It is inspired by the life of the Islamic prophet Muhammad. Um, And when it was out, it was banned in several countries, including Singapore in 1989. Um, And, you know, there were lots of like outbreaks of protests and riots uh, over this book. Like the book was burned uh, in several uh, protests in the UK as well. Uh, People died uh, in the protests. Like the Japanese translator was stabbed to death in 1991. The Italian translator was seriously injured, also by multiple stabbings. Uh, The Turkish translator he was targeted by arsonists. Uh, they set fire to a hotel and like, killed 37 people. The translator would, like was fine though, so he 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 came out all right. Um, but but ba- basically um, there was a huge outcry over like this book, the Satanic verses. So could you, for those of us who are non-Muslims, uh, give a background context on why this book was so offensive? Like um, what is the Satanic verses and yeah. why they so offended? <laughs>
3: Yeah, so that was quite a pivotal moment. The book was published in 1988. Yeah, The fatwa was 1989, if I can recall. Correctly. Yeah,
2: it was
1: something like six months later
3: before yeah, the... 1989. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think the book was inspired by the life of the Prophet. I think mm-hmm. Saman Rushdie was an author uh, and he, he writes many books. So I think this one was his fourth no- novel. Yeah, So it it follows the genre of magical realism. Yes. Uh and there's a mixed bag of things there. Uh but of course there was uh an account that actually took from the apocryphal tradition within Islam, uh that talks about how the prophet uh, had uh, uh been whispered by the, the devil himself uh to actually uh worship the three uh false gods, yeah. Uh so that incident can be found in 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 the Muslim tradition, yeah. Uh, albeit that many Muslims are not aware of that, uh, and also it's contentious in the sense that some say that uh, the record of that was actually questionable. But that's beside the point. So he was actually utilizing that story to weave into his whole magical realism of of the characters that were there. So the offensive thing. Uh, And I put it in inverted comma because we can't assume that all Muslims are offended by that. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, when I read the book myself... uh, um, Yeah, I couldn't make head or tail of it. It's really difficult text to actually follow. His
0: literary (laughs) style is so flowery. Yes. And like there's so many words in highfalutin language. Um, but just let me make a point that he never really like talked about Islam. He just has names that are very similar to names in the Quran. Yes. Right? And then also like uh Events that happened that are kind of similar or based on. Yeah.
3: I guess the the offensive thing is uh, really when he had a play of word. Uh, like mm-hmm. for example, the character is Mahound, yeah. uh, which was a derogatory term for for the prophet. Uh, it's a play of word with Muhammad. Yeah, which means mm-hmm. the praiseworthy one. But Mahound yeah. is kind of a, uh, a, a a a word that was used in the medieval period to actually uh, uh, it was derogatory of the prophet. Yeah. Associating him with something evil, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's also this whole characters of the the the, the wives of Mahan come uh, at the brothel and assume assume the names of like Aisha, you know, who's a yep. respected uh, wives of the Prophet, and things like that. Yep. So this this utilization of these imagery these this symbolisms uh, is what became offensive to Muslims, right? So um, I think the Muslim reactions also needs to be put in context, yeah. right? It was 1980s. Yeah? You were
0: talking about the revivalism, right? Is that why there was such a strong yes. backlash?
3: Of course. So there was heightened consciousness, but also it's quite unique to the UK situation also. You mentioned about the book burning, which happened in Birmingham and
0: yeah. etc., right? Uh, Did, that, do you remember it? Because you were like living I through it. I was very it, right? young right? You were very young. Like, <laughs> I mean, 10 not very young. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, maybe like less than 10, maybe?
3: Uh, oh, you asking me. You can get my age from there. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not answering that. <laughs> but, uh, no, no. I was in uh, yeah secondary school, maybe.
0: Mm, yeah. Okay.
3: Um, yeah, so where was I? Sorry. Uh, yeah, the context of it needs mm. to be understood. The political context, yeah. So UK, of course, it's a huge migrant population coming from various parts of the world. And there's a lot of South Asians. There's a lot of North Africans and all. Uh, they were living in quite uh, enclaves, in enclaves uh, in the suburbs. Yeah, So uh, UK's multiculturalism that developed then uh, was to look at these pockets of communities and categorize them as uh, racial or religious uh, communities. Mm-hmm. Initially, it, it was more of uh, uh, racial categories that shapes the pockets of communities that live in the enclaves, but more and more uh, of them assumed a religious identity uh, from the period of 1980s. And then the UK government had them to deal with these uh, uh, groups of people through that lens of their uh, representations. So for example, this is the rise of the Muslim Council of Britain, for example, uh, that come to represent the Muslim community and as spokesperson for, for the community. So uh, that played a factor in terms of accentuating uh, a sense of religious identity which gets channeled through representative bodies, uh, which then makes becomes lobby groups or pressure groups to the government. Uh, it's a similar process in America that we see. It's a similar process even in Singapore, because interestingly, when the maintenance of Religious Harmony Act came in 1990, it was mentioning about the increase in religious lobbying that the government was worried about uh, and wanted to kind of separate uh, uh state and religion and strengthen the secular basis of the state. So anyway, so all that plus the global political tensions uh, that the, the uh, American foreign policy, for example, in the Middle East So uh, this, uh, and, and its rivalry with uh, the uh, Iranian attempt to actually influence the Muslim world uh, which was rivaled by Saudi Arabia. Uh, so there's a mix bag of things going on. Uh, and that actually created the context for why uh, Ruhula Khomeini's uh, fatwa became a, a flashpoint. He was also asserting his influence, uh, or the, rather, the Iranian influence in the Muslim world, uh, and that fatwa played to that to, to that context. Yeah, because it was probably the first time in the modern period where a fatwa assumed a global status. Normally, fatwas are localized. Right. Right, But this one is a global fatwa, their fatwa, that actually becomes transnational. Right. That he assumed the authority that this fatwa applies to everyone around the world to actually uh, uh, condemn someone Rusty.
0: What is the reaction um, for that fatwa? Because it, it's one person proclaiming it right and mm-hmm. then like what if there are people who like don't agree with it yeah I mean could the they nature do of anything? Fatwa
3: is, it's uh, it's it's non-binding right uh, and um uh it's questionable whether such a transnational fatwa can be issued uh especially in living in this nation state system um it will only be binding on those people who are asking for that fatwa okay or within the authority of the person who issues the fatwa Right? So in Singapore, for example, we have the Mufti, which is seen as the uh, representative of the Muslims here. And when he issued, uh, he and the fatwa committee issued a fatwa, then it's binding only on Muslims. You can't say that you can use this fatwa in other parts of the world. You can't. Right. But so that's why this fatwa by Khomeini is very, very controversial mm. because it's transnational, it's global in nature, and it's a deaf fatwa.
0: Right. Is it a common thing? like? Because I was kind of like trying to research like what a fatwa was, and then because I've only heard it in the news in relation to like this death threat or like death fatwa. That, but actually, it's just a ruling on a point of Islamic law given by a recognized authority. So it could be it could be on any kind of topic, right?
3: Yeah, I think the most fundamental, more fundamental thing is, uh, it's is there such a thing as a uh, death sentence for blasphemy? Yeah. So that's the the question, right? Mm-hmm. Can someone who has been blasphemous or even has apostatized be given a death sentence?
0: Yeah. Right. So I guess like the really interesting thing for me was that in the wake of this, you did a post on your Facebook and uh, that was also when I like contacted John and I was like, please let him, please get him on so that we can talk about this issue and um, maybe I'll just read what you wrote
2: mm.
0: or maybe summarize it like feel free to contradict me if I do it wrongly. Um, Basically, you're talking about your concern over the comment section of Malay newspapers like Berita Haryan and Berita Media Corp uh, when they reported on the stabbing. Um, And what you said was that most people who are Muslims do not condone the attack, right? But in the comment section, uh, you always see the people uh, who agree with it and they comment on it, right? And then the people who don't agree don't Tend to like write on Facebook and be like, "Hey, you're wrong, man. You know, like we don't condone this." Um, and you're talking about like, uh, you know, how do we marginalize these voices? Um, and you know, how can the yeah. Malay society? This is it also stuff? a lot of
1: it, like the Guantanamo defense, where it's like, all the US will say, for example, yeah, we don't, we don't, our laws forbid us from torturing prisoners uh, on US soil, but we can do it in Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> You know, that kind of... What? Um, basically, what you're... We, we we won't do it. It's a bit like, yeah, we're not going to uh, follow the fatwa. We're not going to, like, kill this fella. But if somebody else does it, right, then it's
3: like, well, you know, if it's done, it's done. You know, that kind of... Yeah, I think we should not underestimate the power of fatwa even though, you know, it's just a fatwa. I don't think a fatwa is just a fatwa. It's a signalling also. There's yeah. symbolic value of a fatwa even though people, it's not targeted towards any uh, you know, groups of people other than the, the target of the fatwa, right? Uh, I, there's, there's been studies done uh, of how fatwas on groups and declaring them as uh, uh, under the charge of blasphemy or even declaring certain groups as infidels do have an impact, uh, especially when uh, we it commensurate, it, it you, you can see actually uh, the rise of violence against groups that has been declared as heretical. Mm-hmm. Uh, How, what would that entail? So, for example, uh, studies have been done uh, uh, in Indonesia, for example, the uh, fatwa by a religious group uh, against uh, deviant sect. Uh, and you can see a correlation with the rise in violence against that religious sect that has been deemed uh, as uh, deviant. Uh, these uh, vigilante groups that took into their own hands and, and began attacking them and all that. Of course, you can say uh, there's there's no uh, relationship between the fatwa and and the, and the violence being done by by some groups, you know, uh, vigilante groups, for example. But uh, that should also make people who who come out with the fatwa to be more mindful of how the effect of the fatwa might have on groups that are already looking for excuses to attack certain groups on the basis of their deviancy,
0: right? So, like, I guess the question is, um, let's say uh, I'm a Muslim, Mm -hmm. right? And I disagree with the attack, right? I I might really hate the book and I think that it's wrong, Mm -hmm. but I don't agree, I don't condone the violence, right? Like, if I wrote, like, a comment against somebody who was like, oh, good, you know, like, uh, I'm so glad that he got stabbed. If I said that, hey, you know, Islam does not preach violence, um, Mm -hmm. would that be considered, like, going against the fatwa? Like is that considered heretical in that sense?
3: No, I don't think so. Uh well I mean, it really depends what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what's the fatwa all about, right? Mm. And then before I forget also I must mention that um the death fatwa uh, <clears throat> against someone D, also comes with a bounty. Yeah, it's a huge you know? bounty. It's, it's like a, three million. More isn't than it? three million, yeah. Yeah. Uh I was or, like, God bounty. damn, this yeah. guy
0: almost got it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, oh dear. No, we shouldn't be sure that. Also. Okay, okay.
0: okay. I'm just kidding. Just kidding.
3: <laughs> Maybe he got half. Most of them. Oh, is it? <laughs> I don't
0: know. Like how close to death was he? 75%? You get 75% of it? I have
3: no idea. But anyway, <laughs> that's unfortunate. Uh, that there's even a bounty on his head. You know? For many years, he was under the protection of the UK government. Yeah, yeah?
0: he went into hiding for like, I think, 10 years or yeah. so after... The yeah. fatwa was yes. issued, and then I think i read i, I heard an uh, uh, interview where he said that he didn't even know like the thing was going to last for ten years, so basically when the police came, he only took like a small bag, thinking it was going to be like a few days or a few weeks or something like that yeah, yeah, and then he, it yeah. stretched out into yeah. years he got
3: a very interesting memoir, I think Joseph Anton or something mm. like that yeah anyway, yeah uh, but back to the whole question of uh What was it again? Remind me again. Uh, It's like um, going against the fatwa. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were to say, uh, and I think this is the position of many Muslims, uh, my sense is that, uh, of course, they were upset with uh, the kind of provocations uh, uh, that is totally unnecessary. uh, And they would agree that uh, the red line has been crossed in terms of uh, denigrating uh, religion that they hold very dear as part of their identity, and that is understandable, and that's to be expected. I mean, I myself as a Muslim, uh, I feel very uncomfortable with uh, with with some of these things that were being done to. Uh, has a sense of provocation but of course whether satanic verses was done with that intent or not we do not know
0: according to uh, him it's not la. <laughs> yes uh, and I <laughs> so would take says, his words for yeah, it yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, but intent,
0: there are st- the way that mm-hmm. an artist intends his work versus sure. the way it's received can be yeah, very different right yeah, that's the depth of the author yeah, right yeah.
3: Uh, people can read and interpret it in many ways yeah. and sometimes you know uh, the interpretation comes with certain interests by certain groups to make people see that it was this intent, even though the author might man- mean differently, right?
0: And also sometimes, you know, like once the dominating, like uh, what do you call it, narrative has been set, yes. people read it with yeah. that intention. And I'll already. be frank with you,
3: how many of those who were so upset with someone who actually read it? has actually read it.
0: You know the attacker, um, he actually only read two, two pages or so of the work. And surprisingly, I think uh, maybe this is a byproduct of aging, right? Like when I read that article that said that this uh, this attacker who is only 24 years old, mind you, uh, only read two pages. I felt this wave of sadness and compassion for him Mm -hmm. because, like, I feel like if you read the entire book and you're like, "God, I really hate this guy. I want to stab him." I can kind of like uh, agree with it a little bit more, even though like that's a really weird statement to make. But just like the fact that he's only read two pages and probably not even properly. It's sad. Just makes me sad. Yeah, yeah it's
3: yeah. sad. And I think that champ needs help. Uh, For that's, sure. That's, that's my first sentiment. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but again, people who are, have been so upset about things. Yeah? Uh, I think it's important to understand where that is coming from. and That people are easily upset over these things. Mm. Um, where that is coming from. I think it comes also from this sense that um of the insecurity that many muslims felt uh uh in, in in current situation yeah and they've been fed with the narrative that uh that the world out there is out to harm them uh that islam is under siege uh and muslims are uh being attacked uh everywhere uh mm. and therefore the inst- instinctive response is is to actually uh, defend themselves, uh, defend Islam, defend the religion, uh, and and to 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 actually pin this whole narrative of a cosmic battle between good and evil, right? Uh, so it's a very binary way of looking at situation, and this has been driving the whole geopolitics even uh, on both sides. This idea of the clash of civilization that at one time has been very strong uh, and informs the narrative of many. Uh, foreign policies even right so there are uh, real problems yes uh, there is a growing islamophobia uh, in western countries and that has got to do with many factors uh socioeconomic factors uh, the fact of immigrants who, who are not able to settle in and you know uh, integrate get, and stuff yeah ghettoization mm-hmm. uh, the rise of racism in 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 that part of the world, uh, which commensurates with the whole uh, rise of the far right, uh, with uh, hate speech that is unbridled, you know, uh, people can say anything now to offend people. Uh, all these factors led to the sense of insecurity that minorities feel in many of these countries. So when someone were to do that kind of provocation, it's seen as part of this wider landscape of being attacked. Uh, simply for their religious identity, for being Muslim, for being immigrant who's not accepted within the so-called liberal West that is supposed to be welcoming, cosmopolitan, open, but that's not what they're observing, right?
0: You know, um, during like, I think earlier last year, Mm -hmm. uh, the great thing about social media is everybody posts their thoughts, right? That's a great thing. You you can read it. And also, I think that's the, most terrible thing about social media, everybody posts their thoughts. But one really interesting thing was for me was, you know, during the Israel-Palestine outbreak of violence that happened last year, like I think in May, I read this IG story about uh, of, a, of a Malay Muslim friend where she wrote about her feelings towards it. And she was talking about like, uh, and I'm just paraphrasing it very badly, she was talking about like, you know how if they voice their support for Palestine, they get thought of like as... They are afraid to be thought of as like terrorists or like extremists just because they stand up, they 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 voice their support, you know, um, for for the people who are suffering in Palestine, or and that Sematic. just yeah, or anti-Semitic, <laughs> and that like kind of opened my eyes to that sort of uh, stress that you know the the Muslim community must face every time like something like this happens. Right? They are like, oh shit, you know, mm-hmm. not another one. Like you know, you're gonna put the spotlight the spotlight on us.
3: Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the tendency is then to say that this has got nothing to do with Islam. Islam. Yeah. Nothing to do. Totally nothing to do with the Muslim community. It's just some random act of violence by people who claim to be Muslims, but they're not really Muslims. Mm-hmm. In that sense. So that is just one reaction. Uh, the other reaction is also coming from the non-Muslim side. All oh, this has got everything to do with Islam. Islam fundamentally preaches violence and that's driving people and pushing them towards these acts of violence because of the teachings itself, uh, because of what Islam represents. So these are two extreme responses. Mm. I think the, the truth is somewhere in between. Right. That um, you cannot say that uh, a particular region advocates for violence because that's not really what we see uh, in history. Mm-hmm. It's not really... I mean, uh,
0: violence is so across religions and non-religions, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, of course. It's just the way that yeah. men practice it.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, there's a dual face to religion. It can be a force for good, and it can be a force for for evil, for violence. Uh, it's how people utilize religion uh, that that matters. So similarly, Islam can be interpreted interpreted in a peaceful way, mm-hmm. and that has been the most uh, uh, dominant one so far throughout mm-hmm. history and what we are seeing right now out of what, one, almost 2 billion Muslims mm-hmm. if the propensity for violence is very strong within the religious teaching then we are in trouble. You know, 2 right. billion Muslims would be everyone exactly. is a potential terrorist. You would have terrorist. a lot less
0: you would have a lot less people actually exactly, because everyone's but, killing each other.
3: The the, the the number of uh, uh terrorists who, proclaim, who who are Muslims who claim to be doing it in the name of Islam is less than 1%. You know. It's a minuscule number. But of course that does not mean that there's no problem at all. Uh, That there are people who are being driven by uh, certain ideological stance and utilizing religion uh, in their pursuit uh, to establish some political gains or to correct what they perceive to be injustices and and doing violence in in that process. Uh, We need to also uh, take that into account and and address it so Muslims cannot totally uh, not do anything. Right. right, and I think like maybe...
1: Just to roll back on one of the points that you raised up mm-hmm. earlier. Um, so do you think the book should have been written, the satanic verses, to begin with? Should have? What been written? Should the book have been written, to, well, to begin with? Let's say you can, you have the
3: power to go back in time. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this... Uh, Magic moment. Okay, but let's seen. say... but So not say after the fact, lah, but... I would say that someone usually has every right to write... Uh, I mean, if he wants to write it, that's his within his own right. Yeah. Yeah. So in that sense, right? Then, um. So if let's say they write it,
1: and then there was this overwhelmingly negative response, and also, I mean, if you think about it, uh, My understanding of Salman Rushdie was that before the Satanic Verses, right, he was a relatively
2: unknown
0: unknown
1: fella, like for those who are not in the literary scene. Yeah, yeah, Correct. And he he definitely wasn't mainstream acclaimed. And from what I understand, there's a lot of criticism with regards to the way that he writes as well. Mm. And that um, it's
0: just so difficult to be a good oh Yeah, my gosh, he, it's like, yeah basically
1: he's he's not like particularly <laughs> well acclaimed. But the, the the fact of the matter is like uh, in, in all essence, a mediocre writer has been shot to worldwide Stardom. fame as a result of the backlash against so it. In, in a way this is like the Streisand effect, right? It's like mm. you mm. the negativity fits into his uh, proclaim uh, like his 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 claim, his fame, and then after that, more and more people got to know about him. More and more people. By the
0: to way, know. um, the satanic Versus topped the charts on Amazon after he was stabbed. Yeah. the publishers are reprinting <laughs> the book to meet demand. So, like, I mean, if your point is to shut him up, you feel very badly, you know, because more people are reading it. Whether they actually finish it is another issue, like, Of course.
3: So I mean, you know, after September eleven. Mm-hmm. The Quran also went up to number one bestseller.
0: Oh, that's amazing!
3: <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, this this kind of thing, people are just grappling for mm. answers. So, so, yeah, but you're right in that sense. Of, but it's different from making a point to say that someone Rushdie purposely write it in order to gain fame. Yeah, uh, I don't but think Almost certainly yeah. yeah. not. I yes. think,
0: like, he was, uh, so his background was that he was raised in a Muslim household. I think he they were not super religious, and he turned atheist quite early on in mm. his life, I mm. think. Um, but, you know, like, when you're exposed to certain things, like the Quran, and you know, the Bible, or like, for myself, you know, like, Taoist teachings, those are things that are kind of familiar to you, and of course, probably when you do you write, yeah. like, something, you might yeah. turn to them. Right. Sure.
3: Yeah. Some people are saying that it's it's also a psychological novel in the mm, sense that reflects yeah. his own journey, uh, of journey of life and yeah. uh, has an immigrant, you know, yeah. being unsettled in 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 a foreign country, and the metamorphosis of of his whole experience mm. uh, that goes into satanic verses. So there's a lot to unpack, and I, it's unfortunate that people are not really discussing the literary aspects of the works and. And mm. propel that into a more informed conversations over the whole issue. But I think that goes back also to what you were saying about
1: the in your words, the insecurities of the of the Muslim world where they really feel like they're under attack all the time. And you know, such a such a work when I think also during that period of time there was a lot of um people coming up, just before the the the, the death fatwa, war, there were a lot of people that was like uh writing Letters to the publisher Asking them to take it down And to apologize Mm. And they were Mm. writing letters To like various uh, bookstores Asking them not to stock the books And they were all uh, rejected I mean not all of them But a a, a huge bunch of it was rejected So But this goes in the Like from from the western point of view This goes in line with What they imagine The the, uh, freedom of expression Freedom of uh, speech is right Which is that Essentially you can say Pretty much uh, anything as long as you don't cross certain lines, but then, um, you know, you, you kind of take stock of what is being said and then you, 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 you criticize and then you, you can use your freedom of speech against their freedom of speech. But in, in this situation, right, we, we don't really see that. We, we just see a very, um, negative reaction to the whole thing, Mm -hmm. like how, how, Will this? How will we ever bridge this gap? I mean, it's like a big question to ask. But you know, like is is there is there even a way? Do you see like a solution
3: or a way forward?
0: Is it like a book club where like Muslims are made <laughs> to read this book and discuss it? Uh,
3: no, but let me take on that that earlier point you made about uh, free speech, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what the Muslims in the in the UK at that time uh, were experiencing, and of course, I wasn't there and I can't speak on their behalf. But this was what friends who have been in the UK situation were telling us and also from reports that came out uh, uh, from from there is that they 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 saw a kind of uh, contradictions uh, that as much as free speech is the foundation of the uh, the liberal values uh, of uh, many western societies uh, uh, it wasn't applied equally and across the board for example you, you because of the experience of Europe uh, with the Holocaust, uh, there was a very strong uh, uh, guard against any anti-Semitic speech. Mm. Yeah, uh, you, you can't you can't question the Holocaust. You can't question, especially in France.
1: You know, uh, I think Germany as well. I think yeah, all these are correct. punishable by yeah. uh, jail
3: time. Yeah. So.
0: I think even the display of Nazi memorabilia or yeah, insignia yeah. is like banned yeah, on the yeah. streets. But public. then
3: there is this swath of Muslim mig- uh, migrants coming into to Europe and uh, being part of Europe, uh, and and then you find that that same kind of denigration being done, uh, that same kind of prejudices being uh, uh, being being channeled towards the Muslims. Uh, which was done to the Jews in the past and still going on today, uh, why is that not taken to task? Uh, And it's the free speech uh, principle was used when it cannot cross the boundaries of anti-Semitic speech, for example, hate speech. So so people see the contradictions there and that's what makes them unhappy also Mm. because it's a fair game for people to attack Muslim identity.
0: It's basically unequal application of law. Yeah. Right.
3: And so that adds on to the insecurity, the 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 fact that you know they don't feel welcome within uh, a country that proclaims itself to be adopting the policy of multiculturalism, for example. So I think there's a lot of things going on there. We need to understand mm-hmm. that also. But let's not forget uh, provocations uh, overseas also uh, by Muslim governments uh, of Muslim majority countries that also tries to. Uh, instigate some of these uh, responses for their own local domestic politics, right? Right. You you see that clearly in the Jyllands Posten uh, affair, the Danish cartoon affair. Oh yes, two thousand and five, I think. Yeah, where some uh, Muslim governments were actually mobilizing the masses, in fact, uh, and showing themselves to be the defenders of the Muslims globally. Uh, of course, that is to serve their own local elections. Uh, uh, and you find this whole sentiment emerging around the world uh, that we must boycott France, we must do this, we must stand up for Islam. It's all driven by politicians with with interest for Agendas. their own domestic audience. Right. So we must not discount that also. And of course, there are extremist groups who are utilizing it for their own expansion of their extremist ideas. You see that in, in, in some some Muslim countries.
0: So I guess going back to your no. original post, right? Like, um, how can I guess in in that post you write, how can the Malay society do better to marginalise these extremist voices unapologetically? It's a
3: question I put out there for 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 everyone. About. <laughs> uh, I'm not telling anything. I mean, I don't have the answer, but right. but uh, I don't think anybody does. Yeah,
0: no. I mean, if we had, we would do it already, <laughs> right?
3: Uh, so I that has a a point of reflection Mm -hmm. because what troubles me is that um, there are reasonable voices uh, who...
0: Such as yourself?
3: um, Depends who you're asking. (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay, that's true, Uh, that's true. Well, um, there are reasonable voices who are more dialogical, you know, Mm -hmm. who want to understand issues, who wants to discuss it in a rational way uh, and and not being driven a lot by some of these... uh, sentiments uh, and and uh, without understanding. yeah. But somehow these voices also find that if they were to voice out, they will be easily shut down mm. uh, and they will be boxed into the whole binary thinking that you are with us or against us kind of thinking, right? That if you were to temper uh, the sentiments of the more extreme parts of society, then you are seen as being on the other side. You are defending the West. You are a traitor you are not as committed as a Muslim, you know, you are, well, you probably a deviant yourself. So that makes people scared of even voicing out because they don't want to be dragged into this binary position of us versus them. And that actually is quite dangerous in the long term because it allows the expansion of extremist narratives to actually take root and silencing people who are actually more reasonable. So it's actually, constricting the middle ground and pushing people more and more into the binary or the polarizing position of you either accept that extremist way of expressing yourself uh, and the narrative that they offer or, and I'm saying that uh, some young people are actually saying that, uh, well, this is not my kind of religion and I'll just exit, mm. right? Uh, so th- these are trends happening and we have to acknowledge that it's part of of our responsibility for not speaking up and not doing much in that space.
0: Has there been a very um, like sizable exodus of young Muslims from the religion?
3: Uh, I don't have the data, uh, but right. I do have spoken to uh, a few who have lost... Uh, uh, I mean, they can't identify with the religion anymore because because the idea that there's only one way of understanding Islam. Hmm. So that's, that becomes problematic because if there's only one way of understanding Islam and that has been dominated by a certain narrative that is extreme, then your choice is either you go with that or you leave, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that is the whole problem because there are multiple expressions of Islam. There are different ways of understanding Islam and there are different ways of, of uh, engagement with the modern world. That I think the youth need to be exposed to all these multiple forms and see what actually can contribute to the betterment of humanity.
0: So I guess like would it be that like the questioning of your own religion should be encouraged, or like your Uh, own faith or your commitment to it? Like why are you doing this? And
3: I think a more reflective stand, Mm -hmm. yeah, Uh, a more critical uh, mind. It's necessary as part of the education process of understanding your own faith or understanding anything in the world today, especially with a free flow of information right now. People can just have access to a lot of information, but making sense of that information Mm. and questioning that information, whether it's something that is sound or valid, uh, those kind of mental tools needs to be imbibed in the young person. uh, And
0: I think it's in. Increasingly hard because there's mm-hmm. just so much information, like and also misinformation, right? Um, and
3: that that, is, that there's an important work uh, by a German psychoanalyst, Eric From, uh, uh, Escape from Freedom, mm-hmm. and that was precisely what was happening to German society at the brink of the rise of Nazi socialism. Uh, um, people were just simply uh, finding things, you know. And they were confused, and therefore, it's easier to actually latch on to someone who says it's okay. I provide the answers. I provide the leadership for you. Mm. It's the rise of authoritarianism. Right. So, is there is there ever any space, right,
1: for so called outsiders, people of, not of the Muslim faith, to ever make um to participate critis- in the discussion, to participate, to criticize, to you know point out certain things, and. I actually for for Salman Rushdie, right? We I think we can all make the, uh, we can we can all agree that it is not criticism in in like the in the most technical sense of the word. But, um, the way that I will see it, right, is that if you are truly passionate about the religion, you will probably try to find out more about like what the hell is he talking about? You know, that that kind of introspection that 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 you you mentioned earlier, where in order for you to defend your religion, you need to fully understand it. And so where, where I'm coming from with this question, right, is that it, it seems to be there's almost um like an automatic rejection of any type of uh, voices from the outside that even marginal like marginally criticize you know any aspect of the religion. And you know, and we it, it, there's that's there seems to be uh, very little tolerance and, and you mentioned it I mean when I say tolerance I mean like tolerance for the for mm-hmm. what people are saying. And you also mentioned it just now right it's a bit like you're either against us your or your I guess uh, it's the
0: us. it's the you know uh, binary between are you an Islamophobe or are you a critic, right? Like, uh, because I it's mean, very easy to be I, labeled yeah. as Islamophobic.
1: I, so to to kinda of like move on with the last part of the question this that um there's the 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 divide is uh you know if you if you criticize, then you are like part of the Western liberal uh, uh, hegemon. And then if you if you are with us, then you are in this like Islamic world. Like what what is the what can we do about this? Like is there any <laughs> is there any way for us to get around this at all? I,
3: I've I've written previously this whole uh, idea of ring feng- ring fencing, right? Uh, that extremist groups often adopt. This is basically. Uh, providing a certain narrative that is extremist and shielding themselves by drawing a boundary around or ring them themselves from any form of criticism, firstly from the external outsider. So non-Muslims cannot criticize that narrative that they produce within the religious community because you are an outsider. So as a non-Muslim, you have no right to speak about anything that has got to do with Muslim community, Muslim society, about Islam. Mm-hmm. So that's the first level. The second level is to then identify within the community itself, who are the threats that are within the community that is actually in cahoots with the evil forces outside. So then there, there will be mobilization of the masses in order to identify the deviants, the heretics, those who are so-called prowess, uh, Liberals, gays, homosexual, any kind of things that don't conform to that narrative that they provide will be seen as worthy of being marginalized and even eventually uh, expelled. With chaotic elements, like right? basically. So then, because of that, the extremist narrative then comes as the only, only not just dominant but the only one narrative, and that's that's dangerous, yeah. So, I think anyone. Whether you are Muslim or non-Muslim, can talk about anything. <laughs> I mean, if there is something that is seriously wrong with certain aspects of a particular community, I think everyone has the right to raise a concern because that community doesn't exist in isolation of the whole entire society. Mm. Yeah, you can't say that you know you carve out a small Muslim community that then you go and play in one. Your own longkang, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and whatever goes on in the longkang is not going to affect us. Yep,
0: all the longkangs flow into the sea.
3: Exactly, you know, if there's uh, things that goes on in the longkang, it will affect you eventually in the long run, right? Because we are part of one society, so anyone can raise any concerns. But of course, it's what is the thing that is being raised. Uh, We have to think a bit more carefully. For example, Mm -hmm. a non-Muslim who has not studied Islam cannot confidently challenge the doctrine uh, and say, you know, I I know that this is wrong, you know. Mm. Of course, there they are Muslim non-Muslim scholars who have studied Islam and they have done it in a very objective manner and they have pointed out certain critique of certain ways of understanding or interpretation and all that is valid, right? I think we must train people to focus on the ideas rather than who is saying it.
0: Yes, I think that is so important. But I think there's also that sort of like internal reluctance to actually say something that you like talk about uh, a top subject matter that you're not so clear about so for example because yeah, yeah. uh, on my you know instagram sometimes i post out like comics about like current affairs or mm-hmm. politics or whatever so uh, before the hijab mm-hmm. was passed to for like working like muslim women Right, uh, there was a bit of debate. Remember that time, and for some reason or another, like this Chinese man messaged me on Instagram, and he's like, "Don't you, uh, I think you should make a comic, like you know, a, to about like the hijab?" And I was like, "What? I know nuts about it. Like, what am I supposed to say?" And he was like, "Yeah, you can just educate people, right?" I'm like, <laughs> Dude, who am I to educate people on like?" I think the rule of the what uh, the, this
3: is the rule of the time is you simple. Know? If you're not familiar with something, then you know we, we can't act confidently and, and yeah. say lots of things about that subject that we are not uh an expert on, right? So um, okay, going back to that, right? So
1: okay, is there ever a world mm-hmm. where let's say um the Christian faith, mm-hmm. right? The they are viciously mocked across um all sorts of media, right? like we we will joke about Catholic pedophiles uh who are priests all the time, for example and it, like it it goes it goes like quite crazy uh and it, and it does, it is it is happening in all sorts of media right do we ever reach that stage with muslims that uh that will no that wouldn't have the negative do, do repercussions? We, do
3: we that? want to reach that stage uh... I mean, I'll be very uncomfortable with uh, mocking priests, for example. As, so, as but bit, I mean, we I mean, we there. realize that that has happened. right? I mean, this is something yeah, of course, that, um... that is something that has happened. Uh, but uh, doesn't mean that um, that should be the way, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore just make it equaler. La. <laughs> So for, for, so, not for example, right,
0: it. there's this artwork that like blew my mind uh. when I was in art school and I had to study it in his like, you know, art history. Mm. So basically it's this guy called Andre Serrano. Uh, he made this work, like it's a photograph um, called Immersion, Piss Christ, right? And what it is actually is a photo of a crucifix with Jesus uh, submerged in a tank of his urine. It's a photo of that. Right, and then um, when he first exhibited it, this was in like ni- nine nineteen eighty seven, like a couple years before, before uh, wait, anyway, after, before, around the time of uh, satanic verses, right? Um, and when he exhibited it, like he won an award for it, and lots of people were upset because the award was kind of state funded partially, like so a lot of Christians. Was this, uh, this was in the U.S. Mm. So uh, a lot of de- he got a lot of death threats as well um to not just the artists but also the galleries that exhibited the work uh when it was exhibited like people attacked it like the the work itself and tried to remove it from the gallery the catholic archbishop of melbourne also like tried to stop the national gallery of victoria from showing it by going to the supreme court supreme court overturned it of course but the show was eventually cancelled Right, like so, it was showed for a while, I think, and then they cancelled it. So, like, I mean, do you think we should get to that point with Islam or or with any religion, really, like where such things can? I mean, be... I'll, I'll be I'll be upfront <laughs> For
1: me, mm. I I respect absolutely right? That while I may disagree with such um a depiction uh-huh. of any religious icon or figure, um, but at the same time, I think the alternative is so much worse. Where we tell people what. To say or what they cannot say, and I think that there, there's like there there needs to be some sort of limit, of course, on any sort of speech. Uh, yeah. But then I think for for this, but for for religion in particular, I'm not so certain that the the limits needs to be so extreme, like okay. not to the point of what yeah. I'm not religion. saying that yeah. people
0: should do it right, yeah, but yeah, like, of course, yeah. but should we be working towards a, a, a utopia where people don't get triggered over external things? And have like religion be an internal source of I don't know.
3: Yeah, I mean wisdom. we can definitely talk about how people ought to respond to such in things. a utopia. <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, yeah. to to such uh, depictions mm-hmm. uh, that is an assault on their sense of identity and something that they cherish. You know, uh, we can talk about the response, which is quite different from the earlier point that John was trying to mm. to raise. Uh, look at how Buddhists respond to the blowing up of the Bamiyan statues, for example. Mm. You know, uh, that's very commendable mm. for of the of the global Buddhist community in the way they respond to that provocation by the Taliban, right?
0: I think it's also like the fact that you know, like the traditional Buddhist teachings are like you know, the any image of Buddha is just a mirage or something, but. Yeah, but, but of is, course it is can, provocation, you, 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 and you can, th-
3: you can also say yeah. that uh, there has been depictions of the prophet uh, mm. uh, throughout history, yep. uh, especially you know from the 14th century onwards. The prophet was depicted with his face in in many paintings in in mm. in in, Tur- in the Turkish region, in Central Asia, in Persia, uh, and that is not seen as a taboo, right? Right. Uh, but it's seen as a taboo right now. Uh, mm. Even though the depictions might be done in the with the best of intentions, mm. I recall um, there was an incident uh, of the friars uh, in the Supreme courtroom that has a depiction of Prophet Muhammad has uh, a lawgiver. So they have mm. all the different lawgivers depicted, Moses, you know, and, and and all that. And there was a depiction of Prophet Muhammad uh, with his face uh, in order to honor him as yeah. as part of a, these global contributions of lawgivers that has shaped human civilizations. Now there was a protest by some Muslims, uh, Muslim groups in the U.S. Uh, uh, eventually there was a fatwa uh, uh, by the uh, uh, by a very well respected sheikh, uh, Taha Jabir Al Alwani, who said that this was uh, okay, that uh, because um, uh, uh, it was. Done with the with the intention of appreciating uh, uh, the prophet. So, and after that, the the protest died down because people began to say, "Hey, you know, maybe it's it's alright. Maybe in that, Uh, hey, he said it's
0: okay, so I guess it's okay." Is that because uh,
3: someone who is respected uh, Mm -hmm. says that that depiction was done to honor the prophet rather than to insult him, or you know, which is quite different when people reacted to, let's say. Uh, Charlie, Charlie Hebdo, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, which was um, very bad in terms of.
0: It's just satirical it's, it's and meant to yeah, be satirical, it's derogatory in some. Uh, but sense. It, it
3: pushes really the limits to the mm. point where you draw the prophet naked, bending down with a star in you know in his rear and all that. Uh, I don't and, think he pushed the limit. I think it just people right past. <laughs> it, it, like,
2: there were no <laughs> limits. Just zoom, just,
3: just past <laughs> yeah. gold not collect money. So. <laughs> So how, how do we respond to that? I mean, mm. we, definitely people will be upset. I mean, I myself will be upset, you know, uh, if I were to say that. Yeah. Uh, how we deal with our emotions in dealing with that uh, is separate from that act itself. So the question that John is asking, whether we should even allow that in the first place, uh, I think the question is not about whether we should allow or not allow, uh, whether we should be telling people what you can do or you can't do, I think we should be telling people how you should do certain things. Because critique and criticisms is necessary of any, any ideas, including religion. I mean, the heresies of yesterdays are the truths of today, right? Mm. So we must allow that space for critique and criticism in, in order to allow truth to emerge. But how we do it is where we can actually discuss that even if you want to critic a certain idea, does it mean that you have to go to the point of insult? So we should be talking really about good speech rather than this whole debate that puts it in a binary of uh, whether we have free speech or we don't. But the idea of like what is good speech or not good speech, right? Like mm-hmm. you... you... You
1: end up becoming this um, like gatekeeping exercise. I don't where, think it
3: will lead to gatekeeping. Well, let's
1: look at it like let's say for example with Donald Trump, right? While like, well, Donald Trump was president, and then you know there's all this depiction of oh, both him and his followers, right? Of like you know they are just small brain, uh, tiny penis, ti- tiny, tiny penis, hands. gun toting redneck, you know uh, <laughs> gorilla, <in, so>, ancestral <laughs> moron, yeah. so and so forth, right? Like, that that like if let's say he was president and then he says. All of these are terrible speech. Like, this this is terrible. It's the most terrible thing ever. Okay, let's say he, he, does, <laughs> he does that. And he, he shuts it down. And he says, you know what? This wounds my feelings. Now, I, I don't. of course, religion, we can respect that. It's, it's, it's a separate thing, right? We, we we can say that. But from the point of view of freedom of speech, this is not something that um, it really... You know, if if we come in and say what is good speech and what is not good speech, then we have essentially removed freedom of speech
3: I think I think that's an assertion that um has to be defended that if you remove this whole discussion of what is good speech or bad speech, then we are uh, we are essentially going you no know, what you are saying is that you just have to go into an absolute free speech because talking about what is good or not is useless you so have to should, defend free speech. Should we have like removed the stuff that was making fun of Donald Trump and his
1: followers? If let's say, given my example, like should we have removed that because it falls under certain no, removal? I,
3: I don't think my earlier point was about removal. My earlier point was to have a discussion and see whether yeah, there so, is really uh, something that we want society to move towards. Okay, so, so can we, I just cut
1: in here?
0: Towards, like... Should we
1: move towards the, the let's say, ha- either having the like very extreme mockery of donald trump or not like what should we move towards i think donald trump will not be a good
3: example in this case i think
1: in this Uh, in this particular example the the reason why i'm like mm -hmm. talking about that right is that it is a group it is an ideology it is a person that we are talking about and i think it's uh and also if let's say we were to talk about christianity or catholicism uh it has been done before like what Angie has mentioned the, the difference here is that there was no death fatwa while I think that's like the main thing. So, the... I, I'm trying to like, bring about... Uh, no, there were death threats. Yeah. Death death threat, threat. but it, it wasn't no issued it wasn't by like, the, a religious The Pope didn't come out and say, course, I'm going yeah. to put a yeah. bounty on this fella's head. So, that is where, I think, we...
0: I think for me, right, like... There was in the past, though. Yeah, there was (laughs) in the past. I mean, like, the the Catholic Church, like, killed so many people, right, who were blasphemous and stuff, but they kind of moved past it, mostly. Uh, um, But I think for me, the issue is not really about good speech, right? Because I think uh, as as an artist, Mm -hmm. as somebody who creates, like, a lot of stuff, right, isn't made to make things better, right? Sometimes you just want to poke fun at stuff and have fun with certain, you know... um, Motifs, for example, that yeah. are recognize the people, you use them in your work. Um and they don't necessarily serve like a purpose to make the world better. Sometimes yeah. it's just I just want to laugh, right? Which sure. is what a lot of cartoons do. Yeah. And which is what the kind of I guess very poorly done Shelly Hebdo sure. cartoons are doing. So I mean that's I guess that's for me the the tension, right? Yeah. Like yeah. where is the line that we should draw? Like for I if I look at the the cartoons, right? I feel like, dude, the cartoon is not worth the lives of the cartoonists, right? It's not worth the protest. The Yeah, we up.
3: all make decisions, right? I mean, there's yeah. pragmatic considerations. Mm-hmm. And there's also considerations that our art is not just simply limited to our own audience. audience who, appreciates that, uh, who appreciates it. Who appreciates it. And therefore, there are things that we have to take into account because of these porous boundaries that things especially in social media mm. age, right? just goes viral. So, so it just like, goes viral yeah. and things like that. And we must be prepared for those consequences. And those consequences must also inform how we manage our art, right? Uh, so I guess we have to be pragmatic about things, you know? So, okay. so the to, other to, question, to the I guess... That, uh, yeah. th- let me just finish this point, right? To the extent that even if we think that this is not provocative, not meant to insult, uh, it's meant to critique, it's meant to provoke thinking, discussion. But how it's going to be received and perceived out there might be quite different. Then uh, we must be prepared for that. Right? Uh, we cannot be saying that, you know, this is my right and therefore mm. you all should not be protesting, you all should not be doing this. I think we have to look at things in a relational way mm. that we can expect people to protest. We can expect people to be angry, we can expect that a small minority will turn to violence.
0: Is it bigotry to say that? Because I I think, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. when I was reading like the comments on, and you know, social media is freaking toxic, right? Mm -hmm. I was reading the comments on the Salman Rushdie attacks. Mm -hmm. And it's not just Muslims, okay? They're like, Completely, like tons of Chinese people who, are like, well, you know, he should have he, known. He deserve the, it. Yeah, he deserves it. He should have known the consequences. He Doesn't why?
3: deserve it. Yeah. No, and
0: and why yeah. why does he have to do it in the first place? Right, he should know what's going to happen. And like, I would you say that this is victim blaming, or would you say that it's bigotry no. to say that you should know that violence is going to happen?
3: No, no, that's a different point that I was trying mm-hmm. to make. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's different to say that uh, you can expect certain reactions given the experience of previous people. Mm-hmm. Like, done things. You can expect that. But it's quite different to say that he deserves it yep. because of that. Mm. Uh, I don't think someone really deserves being stabbed. And right. I think that needs to be made clear. So all those comments that you mentioned earlier right, yeah. that I was responding to and I was very yeah. concerned about uh, has to be dealt with. Uh, people who say that he deserves it is actually agreeing with the stabbing. Mm. Which means that we have a huge problem here if You know, we don't provide a counter-narrative to that.
0: Would you say that, I mean, like, I was just observing that, I mean, and I said it wasn't all just Muslims or Malays, right? There were lots of Chinese people doing it. Do you think that it's just our culture? Like, don't get in trouble, you know? Don't do it (laughs) because, you know, like, there's so many AOB markers. If you do it and then you get into trouble, it's your fault. Do you think it's that culture <laughs> as well? You know, like, people are, when when they respond to <laughs> Jolovan Wham holding up a sign with a smiley face, they're like, oh, he knew what? He knew what? He shouldn't have. Uh,
1: before you answer, <laughs> okay, sorry. let me just move the mic a little bit closer oh. to you. I have some uh, uh, comments
3: saying that you're a bit too soft. Oh, okay, yeah, sorry. Put it a bit closer to you. Yeah. yeah. All right, please go ahead. Uh, let Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a separate thing. It's just human nature. Sometimes you just Mm. like to see people in misery. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) of course. And then that that Schadenfreude, you know, Mm. kind of feeling, you know, oh, he deserves it. Mm. See, I told you lah, who asked you to... Ah, they love
0: that. (laughs) I told you, man, you should have asked me. Yeah,
3: but uh, I mean, these are not... We should not take this kind of sentiment seriously also. Mm -hmm. It's just... uh, And, and, you know, as much as I'm concerned about the kind of postings on on Malay um, media comment sections... Uh, at the same time, also um, take it with a pinch of salt in the sense yep. that it's not representative of really.
0: And social media is really toxic. People say really all kinds toxic. of things yeah, he, exactly. they would not say in real life. Yeah,
3: and many of these people you don't even know who they are. Mm. I mean, uh, I've seen some of these very nasty comments, and when I go to their profile, it's like you know, I'm not even sure if they're real people. You know, was <laughs> right. wasn't there there was this guy that pretended to be a lady and went around post yeah yeah. There's also that that element also. Mm-hmm. With social media, you can assume uh, who you are, uh, who who you want to be. Uh, And I think there's a lot of that element that needs to be explained in this world where people feel very little. Mm. This little man syndrome. But on social media, they can be someone. Mm. They can be the champions of issues. They can uh, say things like they are the savior of the world. They are the defender of religion. They can be anybody they like. Mm. In their actual life, they're just nobody. So I think it's that psychological element that needs to be unpacked and to be understood by people. You know Why is society driving this kind of uh, psychological state of mind and given a platform like social media to, to, to bring their bigotry out also?
0: Again, it's like the best and worst thing of social media. Everyone gets to have an opinion. Everyone yeah. gets to read it. Yeah. And also, you
3: know... Who has time to engage twenty four hours on social media?
0: Mm.
3: <laughs> oh, you have no
0: idea. <laughs> sure, there are like <laughs> plenty of trolls. <laughs> you,
3: you know, there is a. This is what I call the true believer syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and then there's a book Eric Hofer that writes about the characteristics of a true believer. Uh, I'm also reading this Eric uh, uh, Bonner's book uh, on the bigot. You know, mm-hmm. very fascinating unpacking of the mind of a bigot or um, uh, mind of a true believer who feels that the whole weight of the world is on them and they are the champions and they're the saviour. This is a saviour mentality. And also a sense of being the only one who will take up the flag and defend you know, uh, on, on this variety of issues that are challenging the community, society, nation, or the world. Um, it's fascinating because... Um, what is actually going on in the lives of these individuals you know, uh, that makes them go into social media and assume this kind of persona. Uh, it's also the lack of community, healthy community building off-screen that might be happening. And I think we might need to think about providing more uh, spaces
0: is that of where line. your interfaith like dialogues yeah. come in? Like I remember, like a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. I saw this really moving documentary mm-hmm. about this black man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's based in the U.S. or something, uh, and he's a jazz musician. And one time, like he got to know like some people from the Ku Klux Klan. You know, like, and what happened?
1: Went and befriended. Yeah, he just went and
0: befriended those people. Like, he talked to them, even though like they were talking all kinds of stupid shit about him. He was like, you know what? Yeah, we can still be friends. You you just ignorant because you've never met a person like me before. You've never been friends. So is that where you come in and what you the the sessions that you facilitate?
3: Yeah, I think yeah, it's important to actually establish real connections, uh, Mm -hmm. and that's part of community building process. Um, I mean, that's part of my own experience where previously like I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. back, uh, 20 years plus ago I would see a Christian person through the lens of my own stereotypes and prejudices or this is the other you know mm. uh, and uh, every Christian I meet uh, I will understand that person through the lens of my own stereotypes and prejudices or he's out to convert me, you know, or be careful, you know, they're they're like this, they're like that, you know, until I meet a real Christian person, sit down, have conversations, have a cup of tea. Initially, of course, you, I mean, that Christian person also might have the same stereotype, an opinion on me as a Muslim also and we were both trying to outdo each other, right? <laughs> <laughs> with stereotypes? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but eventually, right. you got tired of it, you know, mm. and you, the conversation will stray into a more humanizing aspects, like, you know. Stuff you have
0: in common, next. Stuff you
3: have in common, you know, It's damn bloody expensive living in Singapore. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, oh, what's your favorite movie? You know, oh, yeah. you're struggling. Which, which
0: with, football team do you which, support? Yeah, <laughs>
3: those kind of things. It humanizes the other mm-hmm. and you begin to see the other is just like you, with their own set of aspirations that you also have with their own set of struggles, with you know family, friends, studies, relationships, et cetera. Um, And it's not a person becomes complex to you. I think this process of complexifying the individual as much as humanizing the individual is very important. So you don't see a person only through a one lens of that identity that the person assumes in your mind. Um, just now you mentioned you are what uh, non non religious or
0: yeah I'm just superstitious uh, I just beg for forty numbers. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs>
3: yeah, I mean I could choose to every time I interact with you. Mm, that's my oh, image that's of right. you, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so everywhere I go, hey, every number Tiny I gambler, see, I will I will tell you, hey, you will buy this money. number. money. Yeah, <laughs> but you are more complex yeah. than that, you mm. right? Uh, so I mean, you you have other. Uh, don't be fooled by her ex- external <laughs> persona yeah. yeah that's
0: all that idea to me <laughs> <Yeah>. actually <laughs> and we
3: assume different identities at different yeah. times mm, that's true yeah, people always ask you know people always like to ask are you a, Malay, are you a Muslim first or Singaporean first
0: oh right? okay that's a very uh, loaded question
3: exactly right I mean these right. Are asked where do your them.
0: loyalties lie yeah so
3: right. both Muslims and non-Muslims sometimes will ask this question oh really you
0: know? yeah we, even within the community they ask that
3: Yes, uh, there are within the community who says, no, you must put Islam first, right? Uh, so okay. your national identity is secondary, you know, because you live and die for Islam. So And also I your said,
0: eternal life, right? Yeah.
3: I mean, of course you are committed to, to your religion, but you assume different identities at different in different contexts, you know? I mean, when I go and support the national football team, I mean, I don't sh- Assume my religious identity, (laughs) right? It doesn't make sense. I'll be waving the Singapore flag and, you know, cheering for for the country. I assume my Singaporean identity Mm -hmm. first. If I go to the mosque uh, to do my uh, religious observance, uh, well, then my religious identity comes to the front, right? If I I interact with my friends, for example, who are non-Muslims, I don't have to assert my religious identity in front of that person. I uh, just simply relate just as fellow human beings, you know? Uh, when I'm at home as a father, uh, it would be different. You know, I, I don't have to tell my children I'm Singaporean. <laughs> I'm mean, in front of my for <laughs> like, oh, What? Yeah, and, you so know? Okay. We. So, so are we, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's people assume different identity in different contexts. We need to understand that. You know, then don't put a hierarchy to that because humans are complex beings.
1: Oh yeah, but the but,
3: hierarchy is like
1: is almost always there, right? I, mm. And I, and it's almost performed by the the most insecure among us because they literally yeah. have nothing else. So yeah, I think I like that's like one of those really weird
3: things. Yeah, um, any forms of is really needs so to be So like questioned.
0: a question, I guess, since we we're talking about hierarchies, I had this question in my mind for a while. Mm. Like, is there a generational aspect to this? Because like you would mm. assume, right? I mean, like my assumption dealing with the younger folk when I teach them, uh, like the teenagers nowadays, thats that, that they're a lot more open-minded and prone to questioning anything and everything, even the things that you don't really need to question. You're like, hey, look, I found this new hack to life, right? And I share it on my TikTok. But like, <laughs> but like, um, you know, like the, the whole very didactical, like I teach you, you listen to me thing, like uh, aspect of religion, I guess, and also cultural stuff. Um, is there a need to focus especially on like maybe the people who are older? Or like, do you think that that is not it? Like, it should be a whole yeah, kind of. Yeah,
3: it's a yes and no. Um, I mean, intergenerational intergenerational issues are will always be there, mm. right? Um, I mean, every generation would say that the current youngsters are worse off, oh, really? and they were ro- romanticized their, oh, last time you know it's so much better.
0: I feel like my <laughs> like people of my parents' generation. My dad is about like seventy now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um they do tend to, like, look through things with a very uh, racialized lens. For example, like, he would be interacting with somebody, right? Like, and he'll, he'll say something, oh, uh, you know that Malay person, da-da-da-da-da, mm-hmm. like, uh, the Malay lady sell, sold me something. And he wouldn't say that for a Chinese person. He'd just be like, oh, somebody sold me that. Not in a derogatory uh-huh. sense, but it's just like, I just need to let you know that I interacted with a Malay person or Indian person who's not Chinese. You
3: know, no, my, my point was, um, every generation would say that, you know, in that, they were living in better, better times, times, and and the youngsters now are getting worse. I mean, our parents who tell us this now,
0: because we are like They were
3: told the same thing yeah. by their our grandparents. Mm. Who we'll say, you know, your generation all these hippies and uh, mm. free sex and all that, right? <laughs> or oh, the world is coming to an end, you know. <laughs> Uh, and right. then now that they are older and they become parents themselves, they'll be saying, oh, now you see these TikTokers mm-hmm. and all this nonsense that people are doing. Yeah. <laughs> Every generation will have that, right? Mm. Uh, but also do not underestimate that how young people does not necessarily mean that they are progressive. Mm. Okay. Because we do have young people who are also conservative. It's the, the social environment that shapes them. Mm. Uh, of course, uh, those who are exposed to more progressive aspects of thinking, uh, of, of uh, negotiating with, with their current situation will be quite different compared to those who grow up and, and has, only as a certain particular way of educating them within a certain mould, they will be equally as conservative as they are. Parents, I
0: was talking right? to Walid about this and he was talking about like the culture of fear within like the younger people now because people are so afraid of getting like viral right you say something problematic in a social sense right? in sense, a social uh, sense uh, yeah. but also like I guess com- uh, with the more conservative people because I think the younger generation they on at least online socially it tends to be a lot more uh, progressive so a lot of the conservative kids don't feel like they are able to voice out their opinions, for example, you know, like um, what's her name? Uh, there was this lady who wrote about the trans thing and, um, on on a newspaper article. I think she was a student.
1: Oh, the Bertha Hanson, Bertha student. Mentee. Yeah, yeah. The mentee of Berta She Hansen. wrote
0: about like you know, don't cancel me because I don't agree that trans women are women or something like that. Um, and basically like and because uh, I like I will get cancelled, but like, is there a fear that these kids who don't feel able to voice out their opinions will turn underground? Because it's actually what's happening to a lot of, like, uh, in the US, you know, where they get shut down, they start their own site, and then they just ferment within the whole, like, yeah, community. Yeah, they yeah. Are, yeah. That's happening, like, yeah. Yeah,
3: not. yeah. I agree. That's happening. I mean, look at, for example, uh, community institu- institutions mm. that has been uh, helmed by senior leaders, uh, community leaders, uh, and young people practically have no sp- space within that or no voice or no say uh, and if they were to be in, uh, to be involved in this kind of organizations then they have to toe the line and they have to listen and uh, uh follow the the leadership that was like unrelatable to them anymore right mm. so now there is a trend that people are no longer interested in being involved in established institutions and community organizations and they set up their own uh and uh, in the form of community involvement is quite different now in the sense that uh, they are cost-based and they are quite fluid uh, yeah. and uh, they can be dispersed easily. There's right? no
0: commitment, basically. No commitment. Yeah.
3: Uh, well, they would say that they are committed to the to idea, the, the, to yeah, the, the cost, cause, yeah. yeah. but then the way of responding is... Not to the community. It is, yeah, yep. It's like, okay, so we are interested in this issue. Uh, everyone gather, okay, I'll call... Uh, call for action. We all come, show our placards, and you know, shout certain slogans, and then after that, disperse and move on, right? So that's the nature of uh, the kind of activism, if we can call it as such. Now, whether that's good or not, uh, that's up for debate. I would have, I would like to have a debate with uh, Wallet on this.
0: Ooh, <laughs> can we facilitate that? <laughs>
3: Jump, jump on the longkang. Yes, and, uh, come to the
0: longkang and brawl, <laughs> brawl with each other. Oh
1: no, Walid is listening. <laughs> Walid, please come Hi, Walid. on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, she, she's, uh, Walid's a
0: neighbor. So. Yeah, we just live like a couple blocks away from oh, each other. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yes,
3: nice chap. Yeah. Mm. No, I think the, the point is, the context is changing. Mm. Uh, and of course, uh, what I see the problem here is that there is no transfer of intergenerational knowledge mm. Uh, because there are certain contexts in the past that the those who have been through it and have learned from it, uh, that needs to be understood by the younger generation. Uh, even though the context now is different, but the kind of lessons and wisdom that can be derived from that struggle in the past needs to be transferred. Knowledge needs to be transferred so that the younger generation will have a better sense of what had transpired in the past what are the lessons learned and therefore be in a better position to actually move in the direction of whatever course that they're taking to make this world a better place.
0: I think it's also important to localize that kind of knowledge as well. Yes. Um. I remember doing BLM. There were a lot of like activists going on and on about BLM in the US, mm, right, mm. and talking about race relations when they had no idea what's happening, what's happening in Singapore. Here, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. And yes. I was just like, what the dude.
3: We have yeah. actual racism here in Singapore yeah. all you talk yeah. about it, right. like, George Floyd or whatever. Yeah. So. But also because they, they grew up in an environment where people simply they were being told that there's no such race such thing mm-hmm. as racism. Racial harmony
0: right? day, you know? You wear <laughs> each other's like costumes.
1: Yeah. The the funny thing about like this conversation, right? I was just like searching online. Mm. Um I, I remember like some years back they were, they were saying that the Gen Z um like the, the percentage of people who are in the Gen Z generation mm. uh who identify as conservative have like basically doubled over like previous generations. So uh, wow. typically like young kids, right? When you interview them, you, you get like some marginal, something like five to 8% would identify as conservative. Then over time as they age, they will become more and more conservative to the point of about like between 40 to uh, 50% of the population will become conservative. So currently, um, the 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 statistics seems to point that the, the number of conservative Gen Zers have like doubled basically. Wait, oh, wait and- is this based where, where, in the US yeah. Yeah, based in like the US, based in Okay. US, yeah, but I mean, uh, something that Imran also mentioned earlier, where there's like the the increasing uh, rise of the of the far right movement, and I think the Italian election also just ended right and oh I, yeah i think it was their housewife that won the far right uh yeah
0: yeah she's he, a piece of work man like yeah.
1: anti-immigrant <laughs> so and so forth so the that i think as social media became like more and more left left-leaning progressive leaning there seems to be this undercurrent and this like um people that is, like, of the younger generation that's hiding in, in like, this conservative shell. But actually,
0: I don't know if they are becoming more conservative or is it just that the goalposts have shifted? For example, if you say something like, hey, I think a trans woman is not a woman, then you are automatically, like, considered conservative because, like, right now the position on, like, the left, right, at least the liberal I mean, yeah. left, is that you can't say this thing. I mean, so like, sure I, the... I think then then you are like, if you have those views, right, but you think that trans people should have their rights and stuff, I just don't think that they are a woman. Then you are kind of like, you I don't think, know where I to place the, yourself anymore. I think
1: what you're saying is correct in the sense that the Overton window has shifted. Mm-hmm. The Overton window has shifted for the left. I think that's yep. what I think it is. Like it's, it's, it's become to the point where you have to say all sorts of like, Uh, agreeable things regarding uh, LGBTQ issues and immigration and so on so like you have to be like endlessly open and endlessly charitable to the point where any little bit of criticism like just automatically files you to the far right Um, so I'm not so sure that the Overton window have shifted Uh, for the conservatives Um, so you're you're talking about the increasing polarization uh, mm. Right. Um, I I mean I'm not so sure there's increasing polarization I just think that Um, social media right has just driven something between all of us that ordinarily speaking right Mm. there won't be an issue i think like even you and i have like this room like we can sit down and talk and we've had like chats until 2 a.m before (laughs) so (laughs) um and then we you know at the end of the day we just go back home nothing happens right we are Uh fundamentally different people right but if let's say our interaction was just purely social media, mm. I think the interaction might be, uh, drastically different. Where really, like, you, nah. you it's impossible yes. to humanize the other side. But then the way that social media companies in general are more progressive, there's a, there's a, there's a greater platforming of like the progressive uh side of the ideology as opposed to the conservative side. And I don't know that actually, there isn't like all that much different in terms of like what we want, but that the the messaging now, the narrative now is that one side is bad, one side is good. Like if it's again, once what go back to what you said, you're, you're either with us or against us. So yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, I, I just wish that we can. I think
3: social media sites uh, are just interested in making money. <laughs>
1: Absol- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
3: uh, to them, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, left or right, uh, but groups that are utilizing it uh, would be, championing for either the, the the left or right positions yeah uh, and it's how they utilize it I, I don't think uh, that it's being dominated by the progressives uh, or the left wing uh, groups of course there are elements of it uh, and it depends on the sites that you're talking about but there's a significant uh, growth of uh, uh, right wing uh, sites. Uh, yeah, but there, those nobody
1: cares. I mean, like really. Um, what was the one that Donald Trump? I don't even remember the one that Donald Trump. Was it
3: Truth Media, Truth, India, Truth Social, Truth Social? Yeah, can't yeah, because maybe we are not plugged into that, and we are living in our own bubble. But exactly, you know? I
0: think that's the danger, right? Because yeah. it's like people who have the same views and like think the same way. They just talk to each other, and then they just reinforce. Yeah, and that the algorithm
3: sort of, actually
1: fits yeah, with the things that exactly. The, that you I I think the like, I think the the problem with conservatives, right, is that we don't care about cultural power, and that the the left wing has always been more creative in a sense. Like just generally speaking, like okay, I'm not like, um, like stereotyping anybody per se. But the left wing are like they they, they are more concerned with the with the world of like vulnerable arts, with the world of um the media cultural power in 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 information so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, which is one of the reasons why. We don't have any so-called uh, right-wing social media. At least not in the past. Nowadays, there's some that popped up, but nobody cares about them. And they will never. I- I'm not even joking about this. They will never reach the level that Twitter is on. Never. It's just not going to happen. Right-wing people don't care about any such things. They are, they are more concerned with yeah. I got to go. I got to go into the coal mines. I got to dig up you know, uh, fossil fuels. Uh, I'm gonna get black lung and then I'm gonna go back and make babies. Like that's that's all they care about. They don't care about social media, or whatever. Okay, hold on. Yeah.
0: Maybe we'll just bring it back a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah, to yeah, Islam yeah, yeah. and yeah. stuff. Uh, I think we're just going like way off into like the into ether the weeds, yeah, Into the
1: coal mines. So, yeah. <laughs> anyways,
0: like uh, I think yesterday you posted about um Muslim and like science, right? Like how do Muslims be uh, at the forefront of scientific progress? And I found that really interesting, actually. Do you think that that's that kind of integration of um Non rejection of science, I guess, uh, or not like putting on like a a religious lens when you approach science, is um, going to be very helpful in that sense of being more open to the world and being more open to criticism or like thought and questionings.
3: Uh, I yeah, but let let me just put it out there that uh, it's not that the Muslims are not. Learning science, mm. not interested in science. I mean, there are. Significant... I mean, this is not a Muslim problem. I think, sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think what is really the issue is that scientific mind mm. that is being cultivated uh, from young. I think mm. that needs to be strengthened.
0: Is uh, it like a well? I mean, I wouldn't say it's a religious problem because, but it's also kind of like you know Christians and like creationism and and like people who believe that humans walk on the earth at the same time as dinosaurs. I actually talked to a person who believes that, you know, and it shocked the heck out of me. I'm like, dude, you went to like 10 years of compulsory education in Singapore and you believe that?
3: Uh, Well, they are flat earthers.
0: Yeah, they are flat (laughs) earthers. And people people who who don't believe that we went to the moon, right? Or Mars. (laughs) So this is not actually a Muslim problem. but It's not
3: a Muslim problem. It's a,
0: I guess, a religious problem.
3: Uh, why is it religion?
0: Like as in, as in, if let's say your religion tells you that God created men, then like it might be hard for some people, uh, especially if they're not brought up with parents who believe in science. Maybe it's like also
1: difficult to uh, reconcile integrate those yeah. two
0: things. Like it's you know, like, evolutionism when... we descended from apes versus God made I, I, us. I,
3: okay, I I don't think uh, the idea of evolution is. Uh, uh, in opposition to mm. re- uh, religious ideas,
0: right? Uh, I mean, like some people do hold that view, Of, of like course, religion. of course, and
3: yeah. uh, I, I, I'm not denying that. Yeah, there, there are people who think that evolution is just a, um, uh, just a theory. <laughs> it's mm. unproven. Yeah, they call is, it the uh, theory of so, you know. <laughs> which is, uh, untenable. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, yeah, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of scientific uh, evidence uh, to, 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 to Talk about evolution, right? I mean, we're observing it even in, in this very moment of mutations and things like that. Um, but I think it's got to do with their lack of understanding what evolution is about.
1: But and is there like a like a mismatch, right? Also, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. If if all you, if all if all you've been told yeah. is that yeah, God created everything, then there's no need for us to delve any further. It's like God is the final answer. No, as... God
3: can could have created uh, the laws of the universe and the laws of the universe is basically what we need to discover through science. Mm. It's not uh, mutually exclusive ideas. Yeah. Um, uh, So the idea of the creative powers of God does not mean that um, there is no such thing as scientific laws. I don't think these are two mutually exclusive things. So you can believe that God created the world um, at the same time, also you can uh, believe in the evolution of lives.
0: How do we make that more integrated, or maybe not integrated, but like, but um, how do we make it so that more people view it as a not a rejection of God, but an integration of His power or like you know His divine? Well, that grace. has got to do with
3: theology. Uh, mm. It's it's how you 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 understand theology and 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 make sense of the world in the face of evidence of uh scientific uh facts hmm. yeah um i think it's 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 a matter of um responding to the evidence yeah theology will always change uh theology in the sense of how we make sense of of god and 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 things around us yeah because the idea that God exists and all that these are not subjected to to revisions yeah <laughs> otherwise you choose idea you become a, a Ts or an 80s yeah. an right and also
0: uh, I can like I mean it goes both ways right like for example when I was a young young mm-hmm, arrogant mm-hmm. kid, I was like a hardcore... Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I was like a hardcore atheist. I was like, Four Horsemen, like huge fan Ah. of Christopher Hitchens. And then, yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and then all all these people. And I was like, yeah, there's no, there's really nothing that exists that is, you know, out there in the yeah. universe. And then like something happened to me, like a supernatural encounter. And I was mm-hmm. like, then I turned agnostic. I was like, okay, maybe there are things in the universe that cannot no, be explained everyone, by science yeah, yet. Everyone
3: believes in some kind of supernatural thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just things that we don't That's where I got like understand. superstitious. <laughs> I mean, supernatural is simply yeah. things that we can't explain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or we don't know, and mm. we have to accept our limitations as humans. We don't know everything, right? Yeah. So to make a very positive assertion, for example, uh, on on something, you know, just because uh, we have yet to make an explanation for it, uh, that's part and parcel of being human, right? Mm-hmm. Uh. So, I I guess the real challenge is our understanding of God. Um. I mean, if our understanding of God has a personal God in that sense that, you know, uh, responding to, to your um, back and call, you know.
0: Hey God, God, can you please give me A y- on my desk? Yes, test.
3: yes. <laughs> that kind of, uh, I would call that know? as a, um, a pre-adolescence conception of God. You know, it's a God as a... Personal Jesus. A personal... Uh, father figure, like mm. you know, who give you a, or something like that, yeah, conscience, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or which
0: grunter genie, uh, yeah,
3: giving you ca- carrot or stick, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that kind of thing. Um, well, maybe it has a child. We may believe in God like that, yeah. But as we grow up, if our conception of God has not evolved into something mm. much more complex and profound and nuanced and and uh, mysterious. I think that's where the problem is because then every single thing will be looking for this kind of uh, transactional form of religiosity.
0: I do something good, I go I get into reward. heaven. I uh, do something bad, I don't go into heaven. Yeah. That's all right. uh,
3: and if I'm suffering, look um it's I'll not be been rewarded. raining. Yeah. It's not been raining for the last uh one month. Pray to God and you know please give us rain. Um, yeah so that kind of magical thinking thinking that God will respond to you in that sense. Uh that is what people are grappling with, and for many uh, have outgrown it, including myself. Right.
0: So, like, I, this is just personal curiosity because I'm mm-hmm. a person who I think at some points in my life I tried to immerse myself in like various religion, Buddhism, Tao, whatever, um, and I just never really understood faith. You know, like being able to put faith in something that I can't it's just see. Just because, right?
1: You cannot ban the. Like some some guy telling you what to do, okay? Like that's that's the real. shit. Yeah,
0: no, but it's really like uh, it you know that sort of searching and and believing in something bigger than yourself. Mm. Um, so how would you describe your your relationship with religion? Because I've been I, I like to ask my religious friends these things, and everyone answers differently. So, like, how would you describe your own um relationship with the faith, and what does it do for you in in your life?
3: Um. No no this gets really personal yeah yeah
0: yeah I mean like feel free to say as <laughs> sure. much as you want
3: uh, I think religion is a constant struggle mm. uh and I think it's it's a constant struggle to make sense of the vastness of this cosmos you know uh, and finding meaning in that whole process and connecting with the divine in a way that actually helps you to move through life uh, while also at the same time always questioning uh, the process along the way. I mean, it is something that a reflective human being will always have uh, within himself or herself. Otherwise, you become like a fundamentalist with with so much certitude, you know, Mm. that you even confine God to your own small mind, Mm. right? Right. Uh, And I think that is the problem that we have right now. People have Reduce God to their small minds.
0: They uh, kind of make God men, right?
3: Yeah, they anthropomorphize God mm-hmm. uh, to serve their wishes. You know, it's like you watch two uh, opposing team uh, playing out uh, soccer. So one set of spectators, the supporters will pray, pray for God to make their team <laughs> win. The other <laughs> one will be praying to the same God to yeah. make their team win, you know. So we have reduced God to our...
0: Guys, like, let me Guess put I you guys on mute. Me <laughs> Shut, of the, up. Shut the fuck up.
3: Reminds
1: me of the uh Perry Bibleship comic. The Perry the Perry Bible ship fellow uh Perry Fellow Bibleship comic where there's like these two kids they were praying to their respective god, one to Jesus and the other one to I think it was Ganesh, like it's an Indian kid. And then there's like, oh, please let me win the spelling bee. And then the next panel is like the two deities fighting each other. <laughs> yeah. It's like
3: in a wrestling match. Yeah. I <laughs> like mean, what, we have God to that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, this, this is a colonizing God, you know. Mm. Uh, but the, father Isaac, the South African theologian, used mm. this term. We have colonized God, and become very sectarian about it. God is on our side. It's actually obje- objectifying religion itself. Mm. We have made religion or even God into an object that we possess uh, and therefore it's ours yeah. mm. and if you don't have it, you lose out uh, or you can choose to partake in this object that I have and then you can come into my fold and you'll be part of my community that is objectification or rification of religion actually
0: but i would say that i think a huge part of religion is also the community and the culture and you know all yeah. the rituals that people participate in yeah, we can in.
3: understand religion as a relational concept mm-hmm. you know it's how you relate to the divine god is not an object uh, but god is your relationship mm-hmm. uh, to the divine and your search for your constant search for the divine in 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 your process of being human uh it's also relational in how you relate to to others around you it's a community, yeah. Like what you say, and these mm-hmm. rituals form a very important element in bonding that community and defining the community because it's also a support system. Uh, of course, then there are mystics who are on their own, you know. That's fine. That's their religious journey. But for a vast majority of people, they require some kind of community, mm-hmm. and rituals bond this community, provide meaning, and actually prevents external threats. Even right. yeah, these are very basic reasons why. Religion developed as an institution. But you know what? A lot of people now are questioning those very institutions and saying that either you reform the institution or I'm going to be spiritual but not religious mm. in that sense. And they are on their own personal pursuit for the divine. Because there is something in it, I think, in human beings to, to, to see meaning beyond
0: yeah. And I think like a lot of us feel, even people who, who are non-religious, right? Like yeah. feel the same sense of awe. You see the yeah, Milky the Way, you feel like, oh my God, you're a tiny yeah. speck in the universe, right? Yes. And I think that's the... So I, I recently had a chat with a Catholic father mm-hmm. about this. And he was trying to say like, "You, I'm sure you felt it, you know? like Because I was asking him the same question. I'm like, what is faith? Like, how do you like whatever? Um, And he was just like, you felt it. You just don't put like a religious like meaning to it because... You know, maybe you just don't believe at this point, right? Um, but but he says like we all have that same capacity, and you know like even uh, the the four horsemen they talk about yeah. it like feeling that same sense of awe insights, you know, or in whatever that that you
3: yeah. know. Even stand on top of a mountain and see the vastness of yeah know, the, the vision before you. yeah, This uh, Rudolf Otto, the German theologian, wrote the the idea of the holy, mm. uh, fascinatum et tremendum. The sacred, you know? right? Yeah. Yep. So it brings. It's fascination, but at the same time, you tremble at mm. your own, you know, minuteness yeah. within this vast universe, and you always question, why is there something rather than nothing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's something science cannot answer, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, there. We, we. I mean, we can all agree that there are too many questions that science cannot answer, yes. right?
3: No time, um, but right now,
0: right yeah. now, I mean, yeah, right, sure. We are still in the progress of discovering stuff, but
3: I think questions of meaning science cannot answer that. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah like, of that's meaning, not right? What science like like about. why
0: do we do yeah, it? Right? Why do not we like do how it? does it work? But
3: yeah, we really can understand how the universe works, but mm. why the universe yeah. exists, why, we can yeah. answer.
0: But I think this is a really nice place to kind of end off. Um, Actually,
3: we have a few questions. Oh, we have a few yeah, questions. Oh, that's great. great. I, cool, cool. I'm, I'm okay to go on if... Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, if you
0: don't like... my yeah, sure. A little bit more... I'm, I'm
3: used to four five, five hours of discussion <laughs> up to <laughs> John, 2 a.m. I are not
1: going to do that here. Uh, but okay, so the first question comes from our regular <laughs> okay. user, um, okay. CortexPad. So she's asking... Uh, th- this is a meme question. Uh, okay. Feel free to answer however you like. Uh, is it Chinese privilege for me to openly support freedom of Palestine without fear of being deemed as an extremist? <laughs> it's, a, it's a meme question. You can feel free to skip if you... And there's a lot of things going on there. <laughs> Is
3: it Chinese
1: privilege for me to support, support the Palestine. freedom of Palestine without the fear of being deemed as an extremist?
0: I think she was responding to my earlier comment about my friend who's Muslim, uh, being afraid of being labeled extremist if she support like Palestine. (laughs)
3: You see, the the problem is uh, you support what about Palestine, right? Mm. Um, So sometimes things need to be a little bit more nuanced, Because people say, okay, I support Palestine. What exactly are we talking about? If if you're supporting uh, Palestinians right not to have their house demolished, and their lands taken in some areas. For or just some, some basic of, human rights. Yeah. Uh, and their right to have a uh, uh, fair, uh, 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 their dignity of life, you know, and things like that. Then I don't think it's an issue of who should support that. I think every human being with a conscience would want to see that the Palestinians have their right to life and dignity, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about supporting Palestinians in the sense, okay, then therefore, you know, that some of the extremists amongst, let's say, uh, some of the groups that uh, commit acts of terrorism, you know, uh, or violence uh, through bombings and things like that, uh, then we have the duty not to support those kind of things, even though we may understand why people are driven to do certain acts like that. But it doesn't mean that we have to support that. You know, because those are acts that has transgressed the right to life of others too, right? Uh, So like acts of suicide bombing, for example, cannot be supported uh, at all. Mm -hmm. So it really depends what we are talking about. And I don't think our identity matters in this sense. It's our identity as a fellow human being that matters. When we look at injustices, when we look at... uh, you know, oppression.
0: It's about solidarity, like, basically. It's about solidarity, work.
3: yeah. Uh, and we choose, sometimes uh, the problem is also we choose who we want to uh, talk about, right? It's uh, very fashionable for many to talk about the oppression against Palestinians. Um, your next door neighbor? Yeah, the uh, Rohingya. The Rohingya, nobody wants to talk about that.
0: Yeah, the Uyghurs in, Uyghurs in China. China.
3: You see, we pick and choose issues yep. because it makes us look good. It's and more this fashionable. It it happens uh, not just to non-Muslims yeah, no, or Muslims, like, like, Even
0: anyone. BLM, right? Everybody who posted the bloody black, black square, hmm? like during <laughs> the pandemic, like do you see them doing anything else right now about anti-racism? No, not at all.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so this is a uh, virtue signaling.
0: Yep. Uh, yeah, and yep.
3: I don't think that's good. Yeah, um, I'm I'm very happy that you took this meme question like.
0: Seriously. Super
1: seriously, and just like answer to the best. <laughs> sincere. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> usually, other, yeah. usually,
0: in the long, gang, we are not sincere at all. Yeah, we're just, <laughs> we're
1: just, <laughs> really, we're yes. just mucking about. Yeah,
2: we just oh, like okay. talk shit make fun, all day. Yeah, make fun
1: yeah. everything. Um, what's the other question? Yeah. yeah, so this is regarding the intergenerational um, topic that we had transfer uh, of
0: inter- intergenerational knowledge. Yeah,
1: so. From Natalie, my moderator. Thank you, Natalie. Um, should the transfer of inter- intergenerational knowledge bracket, what transpired in the past be undertaken largely at the individual level uh, i.e. parent-to-child for it to be authentic and effective um, and not just learning from the past from sanctioned sources i.e. museum-textbook? Uh...
3: No, it depends on what kind of transfer of knowledge you are talking about. I think definitely there's like two different levels, right? There's
0: mm. the
1: there's kind of like the the oral tradition. I think probably three. Chui- she the the what they call it, like the stories of your forefathers and so on and so forth. And then there's like the like the wider historical uh, events that occur, so mm. and so forth. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I mean, mean yeah. Yeah. Sorry,
0: yeah. Sorry, just let me, uh, I think there there's one part that she missed out, which is the community part, meaning mm. like, mm. for example, she was talking about parent and child and then the institutions, but they're also like the community level where, you know, for example, uh, at the RC or something, where there's yeah. a group of people. Mm.
2: So of, she
1: does have a follow-up uh, to this. Maybe, mm. so okay. now that you mentioned it, right, maybe I just like uh, interject mm-hmm. with it also, which mm. is, would it be correct to say that we in the acquisition of knowledge or on any topic uh, need to be encouraged to look beyond the information sources that were fed and given? Uh, So, I mean, we can kind of like broadly talk about kind of the, the, the various things like the various institutions, either on a familiar level, a communal level, or even on a national level.
3: Yeah. I mean, there are different, types of knowledge that we are talking about when we talk about transference of knowledge, right? There's knowledge that resides in individuals and oral history became, becomes very important in terms of listening to how they experience certain episodes in the past uh, and how they deal with certain challenges. So that's, that's one element. There's also knowledge that resides in organizations that have been struggling against certain issues, for example. Uh, and how they maneuver within that context of that time where you can't even talk about race openly, right? How do they manage that? So those kind of information would be very useful for people today who wants to engage in anti-racism work, right? what people have done in the past, what they've tried, and what are some of the positive impact that has been made, changes, even though maybe small here, bits and there, but I think that's important to, to learn from, right? Instead of just dismissing and saying, oh, people in the past have not done anything at all, Look at I, all uh, I'm doing all this now, right? Yes. So I think that's a very arrogant way of putting things. Yeah? I
0: think youth just lends that arrogance to everything.
3: And yeah. I think, okay,
1: just to briefly, NG like, uh-huh. has a podcast about the uh, Operation Code, like the people from Operation Cold store. So definitely uh, is um, Okay, so that's... A... Definitely, like the stories that these guys are telling, right? They are nowhere, anywhere near,
3: like, any history books, museum, or anything. so. They, then you are talking about official narratives, and there's also narratives that are buried uh, from it's the perspectives of, of the social actors of that time, which might view things differently. I think that's the task of the re, uh, of the historian to reconstruct this mm-hmm. uh, using all the various sources. Right. Yep. So, so we can't say that this narrative is right or wrong, unless you actually do an objective study of it and bring in all these sources and you reconstruct what happened. And again, past, like, right? you know,
0: like this is something that I really feel like I experienced when doing that podcast was
3: mm-hmm. m-
0: interviewing multiple people about the same event gives you like wildly yeah. different yeah. points yeah. of view, even from the same faction, you know, if yeah. you want to call it that. Because
3: um. different people will have different vantage points when, yeah. they, when they experience and they view certain things. So, mm. so I think for us, it's, it's actually to take a step back and, and, and make sense of these different uh, data points and and see what emerge out of it to have a fuller picture of things, right? Mm. Uh, Yeah, but that requires study, research, that requires uh, seriousness. Things that we do not have time for in the long (laughs) run. Yeah.
0: Okay, so I guess the question is like, how do Mm. we bring that... On a more accessible level for, let's say, the average kid on the street who does who's not really like interested in all these things. Like, oh, I want to do my whatever. You know, I want to hang out with my friends. How do you make them interested in such? You can make
3: things? people interested in things that they How are not interested in. How do brainwash them?
0: I, mean, mm-hmm. I want to brainwash <laughs>
3: <laughs> because then it will be forcing them. Yeah. Uh, and and dragging them into. Into your issues, <laughs> mm, that's true. Uh, Why I can't think we do that? What is really important as a society mm-hmm. is to develop that curiosity mm-hmm. uh, of things that uh, that are around us. That active mind that questions uh, the way society is developing, what had transpired in the past, what can be better in the future, and what do we need in order to understand our position within all these matrix of things that have happened before, and what we can actually do no matter how little it is to make things better in the future. Uh, But to to have that kind of commitment requires you to have a deep sense of curiosity, to find out, to discuss, to read, to search, to sit with people and and have dialogues, conversations. I think that is what we need to cultivate. Uh, The issues, different people will have different issues that they are, their pet topics, you know, things that they are interested in. People would, Pursue different interests, but it's that same baseline of having that curiosity that actually needs to be cultivated from young.
1: Mm. All right, that's all the questions we have, and uh, I think we can we can wrap up this this um, live stream that we have. Thank you very much, Imran. Wait, wait second, let's
0: yeah? let's just I let me ask you one question. Mm, sure. What is the one thing? I mean, if all uh, your universe question. Yeah, yeah. What is like? <laughs> World peace. World peace. Okay. <laughs> That's it. I mean, with all your experience, right? Like uh, hosting and facilitating interfaith dialogue. Mm. uh, What is your, you know, takeaway about how we can communicate better with each other? (laughs) Especially like you're saying, um, you know, like looking at people through like lenses of stereotypes.
3: I think before we learn how to communicate better, we have to learn how to listen first. Listen deeply. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I think the problem is sometimes we are too eager to convey our points of view, but we don't really listen to what the other person is trying to say, which may not even be in the forms of words. Mm. So if someone acts in a certain way, that is also telling you something. Right? And if I'm curious enough, I will want to understand why someone behaves that way why someone respond to an incident in that way Uh, and having understood deeper then I think that's where I can then see how my own points of view will be transformed by that new information and understanding that I have. That also means that I have to engage in a conversation and a dialogue with that person in order to understand that person deeper and that requires holding back our own points of view sometimes. Uh, in order to allow ourselves to be transformed by what we listen. Uh, I think that's missing even in many interfaith conversations. Everyone just wants to say their point of view. My religion says this, my religion says that. Everyone just wants to put their opinions on the table, but who's listening?
0: I think also, like how do you listen to the actual intent of the words, right? Because I feel like a lot of times I have yeah. conversations Conversations with people and they take entirely different meaning. Yeah. They talk out past of each other. Yeah. yeah.
3: Because we don't have spaces to clarify things. Mm. You know. So we we just react based on what we perceive, based on our own meaning of the word that we put on that person. I think we need to
0: like, for example, that. just now we had mm-hmm. this uh thing where I said relaxing about you know your religion, and then you told me that you know relaxing in your religion means something like more negative right yeah something Correct. like something that, like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah just the use of words yeah,
3: yeah. so so I, I i think we are also living in a world where people are quick to jump to conclusions mm-hmm. i think it, it would be better for everyone to just have a little bit more introspection mm-hmm. uh, and a kind of humility to tell ourselves that Look, we don't know everything. And uh, that makes me want to know more what you have to say and understand you deeper. And if I don't understand, I will ask you. Uh, but that's where then people are too afraid to even ask, right? We go back to John's earlier point. There's a lot of fear going on. Mm. If I were to ask, people might even interpret it in a wrong way that I'm trying to provoke or I'm trying to uh, be funny. Mm. Yeah, And then the next thing you know, someone will post something online or make a police report or whatever it is. So it's better to just shut up and keep quiet. Uh, I don't think that is the right way forward. I think people need to have that space to be able to ask all kinds of questions within an environment that has established that it's out of goodwill, it, out, out of the desire to understand rather than to debate and to prove who's right and who's wrong or who should win in this battle over Issues that sometimes we don't even understand fully, you know.
0: So, where can people find sessions like, yeah, that you host? Plug yourself. Uh, like, where can they where, join in these dialogues?
3: Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> there are multiple groups are conducting different kinds of dialogues over race and religion. Um, um, my own uh, Center for Interfaith Understanding, CIFU, CIFU, uh, we'll be running our second run of our fellowship program where we talk about sensitive topics. Sensitive uh, in (laughs) an open inverted comma because not everyone will find it sensitive, but for some people, they might be sensitive, like, for example, race and racism, uh, gender and sexual orientation, uh, economic inequality, uh, interfaith marriages, and... um, conversion and proselytization so these are issues that are talked about but sometimes wow. people don't know how to talk about these issues in a productive way
0: can be very tricky to navigate especially yeah. and
3: and we do a modeling of conversation you know if people can see how two people with two different different uh, opinions on the on a particular matter can actually have a civil conversation uh, and be their authentic self without having to you know gloss over the issue or or end up in in uh, in a in a way where they hate each other after that conversation. If we can model that kind of conversation where we can agree to disagree. uh, Sometimes I don't like this agree to disagree kind of thing, (laughs) but anyway, you know what I mean. Sure, yeah. Uh, um, I think then we can actually uh, develop that kind of capability in the public on how we can have these kind of conversations openly. Uh, Is it open to the public? It's open to public. Uh, they, is there a yeah. place that we can find it? Like, uh, yeah, right now the publicity something. is not out yet. Okay. Yeah, but it's going to be out uh, soon. Okay. Yeah. So just put so Facebook page. Just look out for Seafood.sg. Seafood, uh, seafood. uh, seafood. Facebook.com okay. okay. uh, slash seafoodsg uh, awesome. So they'll be there. There's also other groups and I want to plug in some of my friends' initiatives. Yes, also. please. Hatchpeace, it uh, does conversations over uh, race issues also. And there's also other groups like Roses of Peace. There's also uh, different, different groups. I'm sorry if I don't mention them. It's just my mind is tired right now. I'm going <laughs> forget everything. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, but yeah, or, or you just get in touch with me. Just drop, mm-hmm. drop me a note on Facebook. Uh, Okay. Messenger. Yeah. Is there
0: anywhere else besides Facebook where you post your musings and thoughts and stuff?
3: I'm I'm a very private person actually. Okay. All right. <laughs> In the sense that my Facebook, I treat it not as I'm I'm not a public figure, and I said I don't have you, oh, know, really? you follow me. And so all you that. say. So, so you like, say. So like I, I dude, my, I'm everywhere. Not, I'm not so sure about you are. You are such a public, a
0: public figure.
1: figure. I see you everywhere on TV. I see no, you on. Not, I hear you on newspaper. Radio, I hear you on.
3: Uh, uh, that, that doesn't mean I'm a public figure. It's just well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, what I mean is my Facebook page is yep. very private to yep, me. Yep. In the sense I mean, it's my personal musings. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I post my family photos and things yep, like yep. that. It's not like a public Pre-fall, figure page, yep. you know, where okay. you know I push certain yep. things out there. Uh, but I do write, I do comment on the issues. Um, people like, uh, uh, then, okay, if they disagree, yeah. I'm I almost wish
0: speak. you would be a public figure because I feel like a lot of your writing is really good reflections of um, a lot of the current events that's happening.
3: Yeah. Also, a lot of people will be unhappy with what I write, also. <laughs> I mean, I've yeah. gone through that kind of uh, thing, also, where, you know, I get uh, attacked online, also. Of course. Uh, yeah, but it's part and parcel of wanting to do your small bit to, yeah. to society, la, I think, it comes along with that. Awesome.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Imran. Uh, thank you for, very much for joining us. And uh, thank you to our audience for also participating and submitting questions. And uh, yeah, and that shall be all for today. Thank you all. And then we <laughs> shall can, see you next
3: time. I can get out of the Longkang now. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Do you feel burnt? <laughs> uh,
3: no, but I enjoyed the yeah, conversation okay. actually. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. We covered many things. Quite a lot uh, of topics.
1: Yeah.
2: Although, all right. Uh, yeah.
3: I shall stop streaming okay. now. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Okay.